general nerdery. We are here today to mourn the passing of our brother Milton. <laughs> Strong, and courageous fighter who died defending the people of Corto Maltese. Not to mention, oh uh, God, what is it? Let's see if I can do this. Javelin. Rick Flag. TDK. Mongal. Captain Boomerang. Black lights? Black Blackguard. Blackguard. Uh God, I can see him rev- Savant? Savant. I was wanting to say Ravant, and I'm like, well, that's not remotely correct. I think that's most of them. Polka dot man. Polka dot man. Jesus Christ. Is that all of them now? I don't know. There's so many of them. <laughs> welcome to General Nerdery. Your Did you pod- say Boomer? Yes, I said Captain okay. Boomerang. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. We are your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And that was a list of a bunch of people that died that we're probably going to talk about. At least some of them. Um, eventually. Eventually. But before we get to that... What have you been ingesting this week? This time? So, let's see. The, uh, finished watching the first season of Sweet Tooth. And it is magical. And great. And amazing. And I can't say <laughs> enough good things about it. No, it's, um, I mean, maybe not a, it's not my favorite show of all time, but fuck, it's great. It's like, good enough, and I might have mentioned this last time, because you mentioned Sweet Tooth. It's good enough that my mother, who does not read comic books, went and bought the complete omnibus of Sweet Tooth. Wow. To sit down and read it all. I'm curious about reading it myself at some point now, um, eventually. Well, apparently she says she's giving it to me, so we got an option. Yeah, I don't know. I... Just, like, go watch it. That's that's what I'm going to say. It's sweet and still, like, dark at times and crazy. Practical effects and, are out of this world. Um, anyway, finish Sweet Tooth. Uh, they dropped the latest DLC for Valhalla. And, like, it's pretty good. It didn't grab me as much as the last one. Because, uh, like... The green, pretty fields and flowing hills and stuff of Ireland is a lot nicer than, like, war-torn Francia, just burned villages. and Yeah, I could see that being a bit of a downer. <laughs> and it's, a, like, the story's a lot more political and just, like, trying to make sure that all of this doesn't end up in England and not really caring what even is happening here in France. And it's weird anyway i'm digging it and i like i'm gonna keep playing the game but like the big highlight is that hades went live for xbox players you've been L- telling me about this one. like i know that computers had it for a while and switch has had it for a while um i want to say yes but but for xbox and i think playstation as well it just uh released friday and Holy shit, it's so good. It like <laughs> all of the praise that like all, any good review you've heard about it is like on the money. It like 10 minutes in I was like, "Oh, so Super Giant Games just knocked it out of the fucking park again." I played one of their other games. I think they have like four or five decently like re- like size released games. Mm-hmm. Maybe more earlier in their history, I have no idea. But I only played Bastion, loved Bastion. And so when I heard, like, oh, Supergiant did that, like, I trust them because Bastion is 
fucking blew me the fuck away back when it first released. And then I just kept seeing good review after good. Oh my God, it's so good, dude. <laughs> I would tell you, oh man, I really want to play it. But if we're being honest, I, I don't play many video games. So I think, I think you could get down on this. I probably pretty, could. The problem is not that I don't enjoy the video it's games. It's time. Yes. And that, yeah. As long as you're good at like making sure like I'm telling yourself I'm not going to do one more, like I'm only going to do one more run and that's it. Mm -hmm. Then it's not too much of a time investment. Like it's based around single runs, but I'm not good at telling myself that. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> Me saying I'm going to do one more run turns into I'm now up till four thirty-five in the morning. You're going to do five or six more runs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's great. I, I'm being super vague about it. I do you know anything about it? Like I know it's called Hades. All right, so it's fucking genius. Like <laughs> this goddamn gameplay loop. You're the son of Hades, Zagreus, and you want to escape. And your dad, your dad's kind of a shithead, but he's also not actively working against you. He's just like, uh, go ahead and try. The whole point of this place is you can't escape. So have fun. I'm going to actually try to get some work done around here. And then you just have to escape hell. And so then you just have to escape hell. Yeah. But the whole point is like, it's fucking hard. And the most of the upgrades and you go out on these runs and the whole point is you die. Like you can't upgrade your character unless you die and go back to the house of Hades and, like, spend some of the points you get on shit. And so it's just this continual loop through, like, these different chambers that the order mixes up every time, except for, like, every time, like, 15, like 15 chambers in, you're always going to go against, like, one of the Furies, that sort okay, of thing. yeah. But in the meantime, you also run into characters, and you can talk to them, and they give you a little bit more information and flesh out the story a little bit more every time you talk to them. This game is right up your alley, man. It's, dude, it's, <laughs> I don't know if I'm not, exp it's going to be, like, no, it everyone, sounds it's super fucking cool. great. It also, it's a great game because it doesn't, like, there's no tutorial, really. Oh. It's just, it's really simple. Like, you have two, three attack buttons, and you can move and dash. Get up and go, you'll figure it out. And the whole point is you die, like, you have to die to go spend your shit anyway, so it doesn't matter if you go and accidentally get killed just trying to figure out your fucking buttons, because... Then you just get better. That is clever. <laughs> I can also see how that would be a time suck of, like, just one more round. Yeah, just one more round. And, like, the boons you get during runs, a lot of the stuff can't carry over. It's only for that run but there's certain things that you can pick up to bring back to the House of Hades that you can upgrade, but it's very minor compared to the other shit that changes up every single time you go out. Okay. Anyway. Hades. Holy <laughs> shit. Play it. Anyway, play it. I'll look into it, see if the Switch has it, and then not have time to play it, but I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. Hard. Um, also, the art style is just beautiful. Speaking of time sucks, I have started playing Pokemon Go again. Like, I'd fallen off for about a month. 
it's just hard when I live like 10 miles from the nearest Pokestop. I was about to say, yeah, because when you moved, it's suddenly out for, away from civilization. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, that's being drastic, but... I'm 10 miles from the nearest town, and the nearest town is tiny, so, like, I'm... Mm-hmm. I am not close to Pokemon stuff. And I can play at work, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. my lunch break. I don't get much done. Uh, so that, I mean, but that's been fun. It's still Pokemon Go. Not much has changed. I still enjoy it. Most of the big things that I've ingested, uh, because my nephew was staying at my house for a while, so I didn't get through nearly as much stuff, was I watched all of the Harley Quinn movies, which we'll talk about more in the actual thing, um, I've been busting through the first Adventure Zone campaign, finally, like, listening and mm. finishing it, because mm-hmm. I finished all of their other big campaigns, but fell off one because they have an arc called The Suffering Game, and it is, like, let's punish our characters for, like, seven episodes in a row. Okay. And it was just, like, when I was first listening, it was in, like, the depths of COVID. And I was like, nope. Can't do that in 2020. This ain't <laughs> happening. Uh, that's been... I don't have anything that big for my ingesting this week. Um, well, sweet. I suppose we should just get on to news then. Newstastic 4. At some point, I'm actually going to come up with something we can just drop mm-hmm. that does that. But Newstastic 4. Uh, I'll start with some science. Please do. This isn't like as will change the world type science as I feel like we've hit the last few times. But a recent study was recently published that sort of analyzed uh, hit billboard hit music from 1958 through 2019 to sort of see what all was going on with it. Okay. And what similarities you can take from it and... And this was mainly looking at, like, uh, chord structure, uh, not so much rhythm and other things. But the the main takeaway was that over time, uh, hit songs have made more use of harmonic surprises, which is basically just things your brain doesn't anticipate coming. And then it comes and you're like, oh, hey, interesting. Even when you take like music classes, there's certain things about music mm-hmm. that are only explained very nebulously. And one of those things is that certain chords like to go with certain chords. Okay, yeah, I've heard that before. So over time, more and more hit songs have defied that happening within their chord structure. I wonder why. Well, and then the other thing is that, especially in recent years, the biggest hits see an even higher deviation than normal, with the highest of anything uh, that they were tracking being uh, Childish Gambino's This Is America. Which makes sense when you think about how that song sounds when it goes from, like, choral arrangements to trap music. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was thinking, our culture, like, the way we like media these days tends to be taking a genre and subverting it, so it kind of makes sense that we're doing that with our pop music, too. A lot of what the, the authors were saying is that 
there's a certain age range that tends to drive what makes it to the top of the charts. Mm-hmm. However, people below that age range are still being exposed to that music because it's so popular because of the older ones. Yeah. So growing up when you're younger, you're hearing all these hits. And so there becomes a need once you get into the age range that's quote unquote creating the hits by being listeners that your brain is needing to be surprised by new things. So you're taking what you heard as a kid and turning that up to 11 in some way, basically. All right. That tracks. Although they, the, the people in this study were, were also like pointing out by the end, like there's other ways you can do this. And this doesn't tell the whole story and like rhythm and percussion and all that plays a big, Mm -hmm. big part in it. I don't know. It's just kind of neat. I always love the end at, the end of a science article where it's really a scientist being like, please do not think this exists in a vacuum. You need to consider why, like every science article has it. And it's the scientist being like, please don't simplify our shit. Well, and I thought it was even interesting that those guys brought it up because the article does like bring up the fact that like these guys just got this paper studied and based off of this finding, they're immediately like trying to create a, basically a new app uh, going through an algorithm that can analyze a song structure that you write and show not what to do, but where it gets quote unquote boring. And you might be able to change things to have a higher chance of being more marketable. I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of brilliant. And it's kind of terrifying at the same time. Right. Yeah. But it's, I, I found it weird that they're like, look, this isn't the whole story, but also we're going to try to sell you something. <laughs> <laughs> but also, mama needs to make a car payment. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's neat, though. Yeah. Like, I, I love seeing different, like, music studies and stuff, and especially with what becomes popular over, like, the wider part of the population. And, like, how that all tracks, because there's all sorts of weird trends, and, like, you can almost mathematically create a, like, chart-topping pop song, but no one hardly ever actually does, and so there's that missing something there. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, science. Science! Uh, let's see, let's go with... Oh, we had some stuff enter and exit production. Um... Oh, right. The Marvels has officially entered production, which is the Captain Marvel sequel. Samuel L. Jackson's released images from it. Uh, this is where Miss Marvel's coming into the world. Cool. There's not much to those ones, but they're happening. They're noteworthy. I didn't realize this was far enough along, this far along. Jesus fucking Christ, they've been talking about it for a little bit, but... The reboot of the trauma franchise Toxic Avenger starring Peter Dinklage as Toxie, it seems like, facing against Kevin Bacon as the bad guy has finished production? I feel like you told me once that this movie was like being talked about, but I didn't even know it was in like proper pre-production. 
I, I knew I had seen casting news. I knew that like it was going forward, but something about it always seemed like, yeah, maybe it won't happen because it's Toxic Avenger starring Peter Dinklage and Kevin Bacon. How the fuck did they get Kevin? Like that sounds like exactly the weird shit that Peter Dinklage is all for. But like, Bacon's career is so weird to me. Just making a modern day Toxie seems weird. Mm. I have no trust that this movie's going to work, but I'm excited that we have it, that it's going to be a thing that exists. Now, I know Lloyd Kaufman of Troma is one of the producers on it, although he's not directing like he did, I think, every other Toxie movie. Um, however, he has, like, hugely high praise for Macon Blair, who is directing, saying, like, oh, shit, he actually knows Troma better than I do. Like, he watched all the, like, the TV specials, and he's like, all the shit that I didn't give a fuck about, basically. <laughs> and this is, like, the trauma guy saying that. Yeah. I also realize he needs to talk up his movie. Yeah, he's getting paid tour. to do this. Uh... But that also seems like some deep cut references to bring up, so. Yeah. Now, there's always the question of, how much is it a good thing to have a hardcore fan be the person running your thing? But more often than not, I like it. Mm-hmm. I know this isn't only trauma. They're doing it um, in conjunction with Legendary. I don't know how much that's going to influence things either. I don't know. I know it's not going to feel like, like I'm not going to kid myself. It's not going to feel like an old school trauma picture when I go in to watch it. But I hope it feels like Toxic Avenger still. See, I have no connection to Trauma or Toxic Avenger, so I'm really hoping for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rooting for it for you. Trauma's going to be brought up again later in this episode. Okay. Uh, so I guess just because I've, I've said it so many times, if those of you out there aren't familiar with Trauma, they were... They're a production company that specialized in movies that were intentionally sleazy, I okay. guess is the best way to put it. They're not mean-spirited enough to be truly edgelord. No, but they're not trying to make particularly deep stuff. It's no, it's sex and violence. And it's marketed purely. It's almost uh -huh. like it's almost like a new school grindhouse in a way, but a little bit more gross out, and a little bit more tinged with like uh, '80s sex comedy. There is something about art that is like basically edge lord or right on the edge of edge lord, but is so genuinely honest about what they are, like good and bad that I'm way more forgiving of it than I would be if the movie, like, thinks it's some high shit and is, like, making me be watch B-movie schlock. Yeah, no. Troma obviously knows what mm -hmm. it is. Anyway, we can stop talking about Troma <laughs> and Toxie, at least for a second. For now. <laughs> uh, Field of Dreams. <laughs> oh, man, this is the weirdest fucking thing I've seen, dude. I... So... Michael Schur, who, what was it, writer on The Office, uh, co-creator of 
Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And it was involved in Parks and Rec, but I don't think he was a creator. Oh, I think he was co-creator of Parks and Rec Oh, was well. he? Okay. I might be wrong on that. Maybe just one of the producers. Co-creator of Rutherford Falls, which I recently went through the first season all of. Uh, I thought it was great. He is going to be doing a TV show based on Field of Dreams. I like Michael Schur, so I'm interested in a way that I would not be if someone else was creating it. Uh, I, like, Field of Dreams is kind of a classic movie, but... I was just listening to a, a different podcast the other day that was bringing up like, is it is it time to to have the conversation that maybe it's not as relevant as it once was? <laughs> <laughs> so of course it's time for a TV remake. I don't know how to react to this one. To be honest with you, like part of me is like, oh, they're starting something they're never going to release so they can keep the IP. I don't know if they need to with this, though. Yeah, I don't. I think I think Michael Schur might have pitched him an idea, and somebody <laughs> was like, like... Sure, buddy. After Parks and Rec, you can do pretty much whatever you want for the rest of your career. Let yeah. alone The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm, you can... I mean, he can do heartfelt. Mm-hmm. All of those shows have great, wonderful, heartfelt moments. On that note... Brooklyn Nine-Nine has the most impossible of tasks for its final season, and I do not envy him that job. How do you do a cop show, a copaganda show, that's a comedy that talks about real-world issues in the time of the world we're in? So, you know what? Maybe he needs something kind of saccharine to relax after that. And he's like, I, I fucking like Field of Dreams. Yeah, I mean... I'll give it a shot just because it's Michael Schur. If it wasn't, mm, nope. I don't know if there's, I'm trying to think if there's any other creators that I would care that was in the hands of. I don't know if there are. Who's the guy that made like, uh, uh, dead like me and. Oh, um, <laughs> Hannibal. And Hannibal and Pushing Daisies was the one I was trying to think of. Uh, Brian Fuller. I'm not saying he should do it. I'm saying if Brian Fuller announced he was doing it, I'd be confused enough to watch. Yo, if Brian Fuller, <laughs> okay. I just needed to find someone. To I challenge would. You I would. <laughs> I would watch Brian Fuller's Field of Dreams just because <laughs> I would be on the edge of my seat waiting to see what he did with baseball ghosts. I mean, he's all about fucking ghosts, so it kind of works. I yeah, um, I would be all about seeing what he did with baseball ghosts. Holy shit! <laughs> However, I would be in that for like the what the fuck is he gonna do to my brain factor, and not the actual like this might actually be a good story factor. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck about Field of Dreams. Yeah, see, I'm that's saying the... that a lot today. I don't mean to be a downer. I. I kind of don't give a fuck about baseball, and yet that movie, I do give a fuck about that movie. It's a well-made movie. There's, like, I have nothing against it. I just, I know I've seen it a couple times. I know fucking if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. But, eh. Anyway, yeah. 
there we go. There's that. And for our last piece of news, we have... A lot of weird stuff in comics. Yeah, a lot of big comic shakeups. Uh, the the two quick ones, it sounds like Mark Wade will be writing for DC Comics again. Mark Wade being the creator of Kingdom Come, being the creator of the character Impulse, who's in the most recent season of Flash. Uh long and storied run as both editor and writer. He's considered like possibly the most knowledgeable person on Superman in the world. He hasn't worked in DC for almost a dozen years, even though they were like his bread and butter from the eighties up to about 2009, uh, because he had had a very public souring with the company mm. and they got him back. So that's surprising. It's kind of the only DC news that hasn't made me nervous this week. Because the rest... Uh, Brian Michael Bendis is officially releasing all of his creator-owned stuff through Dark Horse, which is big because we reported on when Brian Bendis went DC exclusive. Like, that that was a huge steal by Mm -hmm. DC. And then Upper Level shredded the company and released him from his exclusive contract. He's still doing work for them, but... That deal obviously did not work out how anyone thought it was going to. And it's also a pretty big get for Dark Horse, who I admittedly thought were fucked after they lost the Star Wars IP. Right. I did not. that's huge. I did not think they were going to survive that uh, because Star Wars and Hellboy were paying for all of their other weird creator owned shit that I love them for making. And apparently... They've survived, so hell yeah, but this will help definitely kind of shore up the defenses. Well, oh, Star and then Wars they lost and Conan! Hel- I was about to say, Star Wars and Hellboy were paying for everything. They lost Star Wars and Hellboy finished. Uh huh. I mean, they're still just they're doing still- anything that that guy, what's his name? Fucking. Um, Mignola. Yeah, Mike Mignola thinks of. Well, yeah, because I. BPRD, is that still ongoing? I don't know, but Dark Horse almost always has something somehow connected. A lot of times he basically executive produces a comic book. It's like, I put my name on it, give me money, and make sure it sells a million copies. 100,000, no comic sells a million copies anymore. And then, Substack has decided to launch a publish a, a comics line, basically, that's not even accurate. It, I'll explain what the deal is in a moment, but it's kind of... Substack is putting themselves in comic books, and they are making fucking power plays. Yeah. Uh, I had already known Scott Snyder was starting to teach through there, which was a, a major steal, but then James Tinian, who is basically Batman God right now, is leaving very publicly... Leaving, and he was offered a contract to basically run Batman however he wanted for the next three years. As much as anyone can run a comic line however they want in the big two companies. Well, and over on our other show, New Byland, like I've brought up, Tinian was basically given the job of like, here, uh, we have this new continuity going in DC. You get to explain how magic works. Yeah. In the entire universe. He was really being set up to be the next golden boy of DC. Like, it was Scott Snyder before him. It was Jeff Johns before that. Mm -hmm. They always have their star writer. He was clearly going to be that guy. And he left to go publish his own comics over on Substack. And you know what? I'm probably going to subscribe to his Substack. It looks fucking sweet. He's got big name creators working with him. 
and he's openly talking about getting a much more, a much less cruel way to enter comic books for new people mm. than a lot of the ways that comics are currently these days. Cause it is a fucking cutthroat culture surrounding the comics industry. And then the day after Tinian announces, it's announced that uh, Jonathan Hickman, who has been running the X-Men line, just willy-nilly, again, not anything Hickman says goes, but, like, he outranks... Like pretty much. <laughs> he outranks everyone but, like, the executives and probably most of the, like, editors even. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I don't want to. Try and stop me. And he's taking... Who was it? It was um, look as I've been starting to go through that X stuff and reading those affiliated comics, like they are all very clearly associated with Hickman's comics. Uh Like his voice is felt well, and he's bringing Tinny Howard, who has been like his right hand woman for those books. She writes Excalibur and Mm. did the X of Swords crossover, which was a huge like twenty five part crossover. And he's taking Al Ewing, who is pretty much Marvel's space guru right now. Now, none of them have announced that they're not going to work for other companies. Right. I didn't know about the Ewing, I don't think. Uh, but those three creating a world together, I'm like, God damn it, I'm going to have to spend so much money on fucking Substack. Mm-hmm. I have very mixed opinions about everything that's happening. Oh, and uh, fucking Nick Spencer, who is writing Amazing Spider-Man, oh, left okay. to do this as well, or is leaving. So, like... Substack went in hard, and I have very mixed opinions about all this. On one hand, this could change the comic industry if this works in the way that Substack is, like, making it sound. Mm -hmm. But it could be just as easily a huge, weird money grab that a few creators will do fucking brilliantly with, and other people will, if anything, comics almost gets harder. Like, I don't know. But I do value something that gives creators the real push to challenge the standards of the comic industry. Is there anybody that you see in line to take Tinian's place as DC's golden boy? I don't yet, but I'm admittedly not following a ton of what DC is doing these days. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be... Damn it, what's his name? He did uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. He did Superior Iron Man. Where's my... Tom Taylor. It could be Tom Taylor. He's done the Injustice comic books. Okay. Among other things. He's been getting a lot of work. His Nightwing book is getting a lot of really good press. Tom Taylor is one of my favorite comic book writers in the industry right now. He has been for a couple of years. His work is fucking great. But who knows? Um, And, I mean, if Hickman ends up leaving X-Men... Who the hell is going to step in on Marvel's side, too? Right. Probably Gary Dugan, but still, like, the up-and-coming big-name comic people, like, the the most recent set of, like, these guys are going to be our fucking superstars, have a lot less patience for the comic industry than the up-and-comers 20 years ago had. Mm -hmm. Like, Bendis and Johns, and they're just ass deep in how the comic industry works and they do good work. So good for them. But like Tinian Spencer Hickman, they just don't seem to have the same patience for the way the game is played. And I don't know if Substack is the answer, but I like those creators. It feels sort of image to me, but without the like 
weird 90s bad boy stuff <laughs> that even the creators tried to have. I mean, look at to- uh, fucking Todd. Uh, uh, McFarlane. Yeah, McFarlane. Thank you. Yeah. Have Just you, look at Todd McFarlane. Have you ever fucking seen the HBO did the Spawn cartoon back in like the early 2000s, yeah. late 90s? And it's great. Keith yeah. David plays Spawn. But on my DVD collection, there's an intro bit of Todd McFarlane in like a leather jacket and a fake graveyard talking about his inspirations for Spawn. And it is the most painful thing to watch that I will watch every fucking time. <laughs> That sounds... It's kind of like Rob Liefeld's Levi's commercial. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, the other critique is Substack itself gets some real critiques as a company because they'll... What it kind of... They kind of do is they'll, like, loan you the money pretty much, and then they take that money back out of your first, like, year on the site. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the profits are mostly yours. I don't know what quite what the deal is, but that's what it sounds like. But they have done that for some far-right creators as well. So they're like, do you really want to, like, work for the same company that is putting out some really homophobic creators or really racist, Mm. sexist creators? And some creators have been like, yeah, I'm going to donate this amount. You know, pulling the Kev Smith, uh, well, benefited from that. Time to make some penance. Mm-hmm. Except not past tense like Kev's fuck up. Not fuck up, but Weinstein. Uh, <laughs> the industries. We do up. not have time to go into <laughs> fucking Weinstein today. I don't know. I am unsure how to feel about this. I also think that it could be really exciting. And if nothing else, Tinian and Michael Avon Oming, who does like the Powers artwork and has done a bunch of stuff with Bendis are doing a comic where they're just covering real-life UFO reports. Oh. Like, as accurately as possible. And that sounds so fascinating that I'm Interesting. going to give in, and I'm going to give them my money. Hell yeah. Uh, just to throw in on the weird comics front really quickly. Yes, please. There's going to be a um, short comic co-written by Danny DeVito about uh, Batman's, as in Tim Burton's Batman's Penguin. Well, and they also recently launched Batman 89. Issue mm-hmm. 1 came out, I think, this last week. I think you're right. And I'm pretty sure it was the top seller that week. And I don't know how to feel about that on one level. But on the other level, Batman 66 was the most stupidly fun comic book. And they've got Joe Canone's, who I love. I'll, I I speak his praises in one of our uh, New Island episodes, because he did that... Black Canary Zatanna. Oh, yeah, yeah. A uh, crossover book. He's such a good artist that I'm super in. I, I'm i glad it's for all the people that really love those movies, but... The, I don't, but I do I have know, a curiosity about this. I feel like I did at one point in my life, and the, the shine has worn off. The, the nostalgia wasn't there as much for me but it also wasn't my first batman as i've said in the past like i did hit 66 first so because i sleep terribly early college was the period that i was like yeah man those movies are worse because they have that kind of like 80s grittiness that we don't get anymore but it's still the 80s so there's you know like the prince dance number (laughs) yeah yeah good for everyone else i might read them at some point 
Probably not. I'm not going to go out of my way to read them. I'm not going to pretend that if I see that in the uh, comic store when I'm just there on a whim, that there's not a good chance I'll pick it up. Um, is that it for news? That's it for the news. We had like 80 small things that we just kind of roughly crammed into four topics there. It works. It was all weirdly, like nothing was super huge this week, except for maybe the comic stuff. Yeah. No new trailers that I can think of. No, eh. Oh, there was one, but we didn't watch it, so whatever. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back to actually discuss what was kind of the big news this week, the launch of the Suicide Squad. So this isn't a James Gunn problem. This is a comic book movies in general problem, but I'm going to blame Gunn here specifically because he keeps giving his characters super cool masks, <laughs> and then they don't wear... I, it is like my most hated comic book movie trope. If you're going to give Bloodsport a mask that fucking cool, or if you're going to use Peacemaker of all people, do the action scene with the mask. Yeah. Yeah. Or Star-Lord, because that's the other one that I'm always like, no. Oh, yeah. Star-Lord hardly ever has his mask on. It's I get that mask. you want to show the pretty, like, famous person's face. Great. Wonderful. But if you're going to take the time... To do a comics-accurate Peacemaker mask. Like, holy shit, they did for this movie. Look, fucking Deadpool proved you can just have him in the mask. And we're fine with it. I mean, most of the time we're fine with it. Because there were some of those scenes in Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 had a lot of <laughs> issues going on, man. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's, however, not the only problem with Spider-Man <laughs> 3. So... Fucking Suicide Squad! Uh, okay, let's go into this. You hadn't seen... Mm -hmm. Let's start at the beginning. The beginning Before being, we go with that, do you have any relationship to the Suicide Squad outside of the movies? I don't actually know your answer to this, so... And then we'll dive mine. Uh, my relationship outside the movies was that I meant to read the Ostrander mm -hmm. stuff when the 2016 movie was going to come out. And then I got interrupted doing that, and, and I never did. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, everyone knows about the Suicide Squad if you read DC Comics. Like, the name is so good that it will come up. Mm -hmm. Somewhat problematic, but also, it's just such a good... Yeah. Like, um... <sighs> it's a very evocative. Uh-huh. And I'm a huge John Ostrander fan. Like, he is on my list of, like, top ten most reliable comic book creators. He will make good work. Uh, he made Grimjack, but I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't seen the first Suicide Squad movie because it got such bad reviews, but I figured I would see this one or I would see the David Ayer before because I wanted to really see the difference in what to expect. So let's start with the 2016 one just because you did watch it. This okay. Week. Um, I I long have said I don't think I hated it as much as everyone else, but... I definitely didn't hate it as much as everyone else. But Jesus Christ, it would have been so... Like, just going through what happens in that movie, it's so fucking easy to be like, why? 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 Just change, change things right here. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. We hear a lot of like, oh, we need to see why the Why is it on American soil at all? <laughs> We need to see the ire cut. No, I don't. I do. Okay, I do. Just because I don't. Okay, I don't trust him to make a good comic book movie, but mm -hmm. I trust David Ayer to make a fucking good movie. 
I'll give you that. I don't trust him to make a good Suicide Squad movie either. And it was one of my biggest problems with it. Of the su And it's a problem that DC makes with Suicide Squad a lot. Suicide Squad has to be kind of funny. It always has to be kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Because it is such a grim, dark concept, if you don't have some of that black humor in there, that it just kind of gets exhausting. And that was largely my kind of point of view of the first movie. There was the makings of a really good movie in there. And there were bits that I really liked. But it was not a great movie. <laughs> um, uh, I, I liked the characters. I mean, the suddenly, like, we're friends now happened. It would have happened too fast for a movie about, like, Superman. Mm-hmm let alone for fucking Harley Quinn and Deadshot and Captain <laughs> fucking Boomerang. But I really liked all of the characters and their choices. Like, it was... It was still kind of fun. I had fun watching it. I had fun thinking it was bad. But it's bad. It's bad. I And I, as I said, and like... believe me, Will the Smith, longer you think about it, it's like Wonder Woman 84. It becomes worse. Will Smith is not a bad... Deadshot, Killer Croc, I enjoyed. I wanted to see more of that Killer Croc. Uh, Captain Boomerang was the exact kind of slimy dick you need Captain Boomerang to be. Enchantress sucked. Yeah. A lot. And, and it shouldn't take you an hour of a two-hour movie for a fucking The Squad to be formed. No. You could have done this in, like, the first 15 minutes you can do two squads in 15 minutes, apparently. <laughs> We've seen. Man, and I learned about as much of that first. Uh, we'll get to that. But I learned about as much of that first squad as I did in the entire fucking thus, or first Suicide Squad movie. Mm -hmm. The 2016. Yeah, 2016. Thank you. Also, I knew I didn't like Jerry Leto Joker. I know Jerry Leto Joker, like, kicking that guy in a crotch about it is just hackneyed at this point. But oh my god, he was obnoxious. <laughs> and I don't mind a really hateable Joker, but like, ugh, give me Alan Tudyk's I'm a douchebag Joker over everything that was going on there. I still maintain he seems like the only Joker that I've seen portrayed live action that would have goons. Yes, I appreciate that, but something doesn't click right with that Joker. Yeah, yeah. And, it is, and it's 100% their need to, like, try and make the Joker edgy. The Joker doesn't need to be edgy. He's kind of scarier when he's just, like, a super doofy-looking clown. <laughs> he was still a very doofy-looking, but in a different kind yeah, of, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Not like a SoundCloud rapper. Uh-huh. Viola Davis kills it. She kills it in this one, too. Yeah, that means... Viola fucking Davis. She kills it anytime. Is that I'll fair have, to say? I'll have critiques of her portrayal of Waller, but it's not critiques of her portrayal of Waller, but Gunn's portrayal of Waller. Kind of. But then, okay, watch that. Then watched Birds of Prey again, mostly because I just... To fin to continue the, the Harley through line? Publicly, it was to watch the whole Harley through line to see her progress. Privately, it's because it gave me an excuse to fucking watch Birds of Prey again. Yeah, I need to do that, too. I trusted the Suicide Squad was going to be good, and I was right. But in the fucking off chance that it wasn't, I wanted to be sure I watched one good fucking movie <laughs> if I was going to go through a row of three. Fair. That's fair. 
It's uh, still probably my favorite of the three, ooh, but I really like this one, so I don't... Interesting. Because uh, then we come up to this one, because we've talked about, we, we did a whole we episode, did a whole episode. On, on Birds of Prey. We both fucking loved it. If anything, I like it more than I used to. It's just grown on me. But I need to rewatch it, as yeah, I yeah. said. But anyways, The Suicide Squad. This would be my favorite movie of the year if Green Knight didn't exist. I fucking loved this movie. I don't watch enough... I don't watch enough movies to have that list or like this came out this year. But yeah, of all of the movies that came out this year, this is the one that made me be like, oh yeah, I need to fucking see that. It was that and In the Heights for me. I might prefer In the Heights, but I don't know. This movie did just get all of the buttons just right. This is a weird one. We're James Gunn being involved. The gun of it all. Mm-hmm. This felt so much more like actual gun to me. Than like, Guardians He's does. a fucking household name because of Guardians, and that movie's wonderful. I honestly believe the first Guardians movie would end up being cemented as thoroughly as Star Wars if it wasn't so reliant on our own pop culture also existing. If It, it built, is the next Star Wars. If it built its own universe without ours existing, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. it would be its own Star Wars. It's fucking fantastic. I enjoyed this more than the first Guardians because I went to see a James Gunn movie and this felt like a James Gunn movie. I definitely did not. I I think I like Guardians, I'm not going to say significantly better, but like noticeably better, but also Guardians just ticks every one of my boxes and this ticks like 90% of my boxes. But also like, that's the thing. Like for me, my boxes are slightly different yep. and like, when it I, makes perfect sense to me that this is your preferred movie of the options. Well, cause I, I like gun getting to play with the things that when you look at the rest of his career, it's obvious he likes to play with. I don't know if I trust anyone else to do a suicide squad movie other than gun right now. And this is where I get to bring them up again. Like the fact that James Gunn started writing for trauma shows through in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from what little I know of trauma, just from the pictures I have seen of trauma videos, because that he was, makes perfect sense. He was writer on Tromeo and Juliet. Jesus fucking Christ. Trauma. Oh, my God. But then he was also, like, writer on, like, the 2002 Scooby-Doo. He was director of that, too, wasn't he? I don't think or, he directed Okay. It. But he wrote the uh, the Scott Snyder reboot of Dawn of the Dead. He wrote Belco Experiment, which I don't know how that happened. I have too much respect for him. Wait, I'm sorry. Which one is this? So Belco Experiment, just to cross over really quick with Fried Squirms, has long been the Fried Squirms benchmark of the l- lowest a movie can go while and still have us enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> but, like, there's elements of gun in there. And it's you. he likes violence and gore and over-the-topness, and Suicide Squad, I think, was the perfect... Perfect vehicle. Perfect choice for him. For the comedy and the violence. Well, and blending so seamlessly with a comic book movie, he is 
it's either him or Taika for my favorite comic book movie creator. And I might have to give it to him just because he's done more of them than Taika. Mm. Although his first one with uh, Elliot Page was not good. Oh, right. Supers or something like that. Super. Oh, I still haven't watched that with with Elliot and Rain Wilson. I don't think I finished it. I. It was kind of kick-ass before there was kick-ass. Right. I was about to say, I've had some friends recommend it to me. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But... I was I was thinking about this. There is no one that really does comics more accurately with while still being so willing to take such broad strokes with the character's personality. It's mm. like Star-Lord. Star-Lord's a perfect example. Star-Lord in the movies has everything that old Star-Lord had while also making him kind of a smart aleck bum as opposed to Flash Gordon space hero. And it works so well that mm-hmm. Star-Lord was kind of permanently changed. Or Groot has been so permanently changed into this really, like, innocent, sweet creature. And not the space monster from Planet X. Space monarch. He was a fucking Oh, that's king. right. <laughs> uh, I should have known that. I've actually read that. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it is peak Atlas comics. And he did this here, again, like... This is a seamless comic book movie. This is... It had no fair... It had no... God, he went so hard. Why is it better in the first 10 minutes than the entire, than the entire fucking first one 2016? <laughs> but those are the most pure comic book adaptations I've ever seen. No character was played particularly close to how they were actually portrayed in the comics. Right. And I don't care with guns. So that's the that's the interesting thing about him as a creator to me. I've always kind of liked the idea of Ratcatcher. Tw- I never thought I'd give a shit about Ratcatcher. Gun can twist characters in a way that still feel accurate. It's true to the character while letting him do whatever the fuck he wants. And it is the most admirable skill as a creator. I'm so fucking jealous of his ability mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, Ratcatcher 2. Ratcatcher 2 was great. Apparently, she was supposed to die in the first draft. And he's like, mm. I can't. I can't do it. One of my favorite things about this movie is that they just straight up call her Ratcatcher 2 throughout it. Mm-hmm. They just owned it. Like, yeah, yeah, her dad was Ratcatcher. Taika, for some reason. We were so curious, because they hadn't announced who Taika was going to be. Out of, even, even when they finally announced the rest of the cast, half of whom ended up dying in ten minutes. The entire first trailer died. Yeah, that threw me. I mean, I was... Or not the entire, because Rick Flagg and Harley. We knew most of this cast was going to die. You don't put put fucking Javelin in a movie. Or a version of Arm Fall Off Boy. Well, and I think if you go back to our episodes Mm. where we watched those trailers, like... I think we even say, like, oh, this looks like the battle where some of them die, because then they don't show up in these scenes that we're seeing in the trailers. Yes, we didn't fucking expect all of them. I thought Weasel was going to make it through the movie. Absolutely. I thought we were going to lose about half of the cast. We lost... And I thought that that battle was going to happen 20 minutes in, not two minutes in. Yeah. I was like, they're going to make a big deal out of Savant? Mm -hmm. Fucking barely used in Birds of Prey Savant? That's... Weird, and they did. 
But also, they kill him really fast. Like Rooker acted his ass off a little bit. I bought that he was scared. Uh-huh. But, I mean, the way that they set him up in the trailers and in the imagery, I honestly thought he was going to last quite a bit longer into this movie than he did. Thought he was going to have to be, like, supposedly some sort of linchpin to their mission that then was probably going to die and they were going to have to figure out I a I thought he was going to die in the final fight or just before the final fight. Yeah, maybe Thinker was the workaround for when he died. You know what I meant? mean? Turns out that wasn't it at all. Holy shit, this movie surprised the fuck out of me for how much of it we actually saw in the trailers. <laughs> yeah. Almost not. And I went in going, okay, I know Starro's going to show up, but I don't know how. Nope, apparently we're going to have an entire story about Corto Maltese and some really fascinating character choices from Harley Quinn in this fucking movie. Margot Robbie, I mean, she always kills it as Harley, but like, especially after watching, yeah, because you the watched cardboard Car- fucking cutout that was Harley in the 2016 Suicide Squad mm. to who she is now, and watching all the way through, I believe the progression. Mm. But like, God damn! I was gonna say, yeah, what was that like? Because you got the progression of that character all in. Like, okay, one so week. Harley in the first one. And she's still probably the best part of that movie. Yes. But she is sexy in a, like, the male gaze kind of way. She's not a deep character. She is still 100% in the thrall of the Joker. And I'm not used to seeing that anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of used to anymore when we start Harley's story. It's usually... Just when she's leaving the Joker, just when she's escaping from the abusive relationship. But like her being kind of a plastic person kind of fits when in the next movie she has to relearn how to be a person after being dumped by her abusive boyfriend. Which I've seen from people who survive abuse. So like it's Mm -hmm. not fun, but it's a very realistic character progression. And then seeing her here and she's... I don't want to say healed because she's still Harley fucking Quinn. She's still an absolute chaos demon. Yeah. But the choices of like, if I ever see the signs in a relationship of like these, you know, these red flags that I'm just going to fucking kill them right on the spot and not deal with it again. That makes perfect sense for who Harley is as a character while also letting her move beyond the abuse that she suffered. Well, and she even, she even lampshades the fact that she might be going overboard a little bit. She's like, maybe killing him isn't the best answer, but with the kind of guys I date. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Harley that desperately needs to meet her fucking poison ivy. Yes. Speaking of which, um, have you gone through season two of Harley? No, not yet. I know bits of what happened okay. in it, but... Um, is this going to spur you to now that you've been taking this Harley journey this week? It's been on my list anyways. It might, I'm slowly working through She-Ra to try and finally finish it. And I might just do that as a quick gap between She-Ra and like the next young adult kids cartoon that I'm going to get way too invested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was going to be the new Transformers with Beast Wars stuff in it, but I think Harley Quinn's a better choice. Not so good so far. Uh, Speaking with, uh, we we did say a, a couple things um, earlier this weekend off mic with friend of the show, Steven, 
who pointed out, and I, as soon as he said it, I unfortunately agree, and yet still enjoyed the fuck out of it. The worst King Shark, yet still super enjoyable. I have such mixed opinions of this. The thing that he said, and I know you're listening, Stephen, so yep, we still talk about you even when you're not around, um, of this was kind of a waste of having Sylvester Stallone. I don't disagree with it. He does a fine job. I really like it was fun, but it kind of was more stunt casting over like, I feel like we could have gotten a little more out of it out of a professional voice actor. There's a part of it that makes me feel like it's almost gun just sort of clowning on himself and guardians with having Vin Diesel, like Mm -hmm. might as well get like kind of the same guy. Vin Diesel's a better actor than Sylvester Stallone. I'm sorry, I said it. No. No? I will fight you on that one. What? What? Uh, what Rocky? Rocky won. Okay. And, uh, dude, fucking in Creed, he should have won uh, the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. I have not seen Creed. I will grant you Rocky won. Rocky won in two. I'd say the acting goes downhill in three on. but <sighs> Three's a fucking tragedy. Uh, but like, oh, I love three, but it's, it's still a fucking tragedy. I'm standing by my <laughs> statement. I just Sylvester Stallone on the Muppet show might be one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> and I don't know if I've quite forgiven him for it. Cause I had to listen to him sing and there wasn't enough self-awareness in that for my tastes. <laughs> I'm being really mean to uh, Stallone. I'm sorry. He's, <laughs> but the entire time I was sitting there, like, I really wish that this was the the Ron Funches King Shark. Funches is interesting because he's so wildly different than any version of King Shark we've ever seen. But I'll roll with it because hardly having a weird shark nerd is such a good call. Mm-hmm. But I really love Nanawe, who is possibly the descendant of a shark god. Possibly just a shark horribly warped by science. Who gives a f- or magic? Who gives a fuck? Who screams King Shark is a shark and eats people? Yes, is perfect. I that is my favorite version. I don't know. I might agree with you, but still, it's King Shark and them even having Viola Davis say, "You're like he might be the descendant of a god." That's DC showing so much more willing to play in their like. No, we're getting field weird. of what makes them good. Yeah, because the oh man, some of their weird really does make them good. Nanawe being a god is fucking great. Possibly DC works because they're really good at two things and then mixing those two things: weird, grim, dark bullshit, and weird '50s, '60s sci-fi goofy bullshit creating one strange, beautiful comic book universe. But you have to have both of them or it doesn't work. Batman is great, but you have to have, well, Rainbow Raider, Polka Dot Man, Rainbow Raider's Flash, but still, the fucking Polka Dot Man. Yo. So, okay, we brought up Ratcatcher 2, Polka Dot Man. Both of those are weird Batman ones that work beauty. And also... Like, kind of the weird standout stars of this movie? Did, yeah. We knew, and we'll get to Bloodsport in a minute, but we knew he was going to be... He's fucking dangerous, yeah. I didn't know. I knew 
the actor, but I don't even remember his name, who played Polka Dot Man. Uh, oh, David Dasmalchen. And I know he's, like, a good actor, but I don't know much that... Isn't he the weird, like, Joker minion in Dark Knight? He's the weird Joker minion in Dark Knight. He is... That's the thing I know him best from, so, like, that's how little I know this guy. In Ant-Man, he's the member of the crew that's not T.I., or uh, yeah. what's his name? And that's kind of most of my relationship with David Desmolchus is just, I know he's in stuff that I liked. I liked him in it. Here is where I might actually start, like, remembering his... Uh, he's going to be in Dune. Who is he, Peter? Yeah. Oh, fuck, yes! <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> yeah, dude. How great is that? Oh, my God! Also, I thought I read somewhere that he acts as his own agent. Well, he was pretty much just a side extra in Dark Knight that Nolan, like, took aside because he liked him mm -hmm. and went, we're going to do some shit with you. Just laugh. And he got a career out of that. Oh, he was also in Jay and Bob Reboot. I don't remember where, but I know you're right. Uh, he's uh, the cop talking to Darnell Rollins at the very beginning when they bust him for being a fucking grow operation. Okay. I vaguely remember that. Even Jim Lee talked. And I mean, Jim Lee's the publisher of DC Comics, or basically, I don't, one of those high-ranking positions. He has to sell shit like this. But going, man, whoever thought we'd get pathos out of Polka Dot Man? Dude. Who? I did not. Yeah. Dude, I thought Polka Dot Man was going to be going to be one of the first offed. Because he throws polka dots. We had a few the signs dots. he was going to make it a surprising amount of time just because we saw him in other shots. Right. But like but I, was I was thinking like halfway through. Uh-huh. Because he throws polka dots. But those polka dots were fucking, like, terrifyingly powerful. Just everything about him was terrifying and powerful and... Disgusting. <laughs> In the final, right before the final fight, when they have, he's clearly kind of making fun of Avengers by having, like, Bloodsport call the play. Mm -hmm. And basically, King Shark gets the Hulk job. But the, and I won't even spoil the joke in this, but, like, his Polka Dot Man moment is maybe the best moment in the movie. And I never thought I could say that about fucking... For me, it's a toss-up. Okay. I have three best moments, and Polka Dot Man has two of them. Because that moment that you just mentioned, the the other part where he sees his mom everywhere. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> and then my other favorite moment is the, the kill-off. We'll definitely talk about that in a sec. Right before we do, this has been such a good, like, five years for making us care about weird DC characters that we have no right caring about. Between this and Kite Man and Harley Quinn and fucking King Shark and both of those. Right. And like DC admitting that their their wheelhouse of like strange characters is has some potential has been so soul fulfilling for me. Uh all right, let's talk about do you want to do Bloodsport or Peacemaker? Bloodsport's pretty simple through and through. He like, was he's clearly just the supposed. He was clearly written to be Deadshot, and then Will Smith wasn't available, so they like crossed out some names and tweaked a few character things. And and I don't care because it's so good. And in like the first five of his character moments, 
or five of his character minutes completely shows up the Deadshot storyline from 2016. Oh, yeah. The, the, you know, he's even the whole thing is like created around the relationship with his daughter. The just was so clearly supposed to be Will Smith's role. And he's like, I can't, man, I'm busy. And they're like, okay, how about Idris? Or clearly meant to be like, oh, you thought that was a story? Yeah, things from that movie worked. If you do it right, we're just going to do it right. (laughs) That's it. I didn't dislike Will Smith's uh, child story in. I thought they did a decent job with that. It's probably. It's just that it's so much better in this. (laughs) Yes. I just credit words do. It is probably the most heartfelt moments of that last movie. But that's also a pretty damning indictment of the first Suicide Squad movie. Ah, Diablo stuff could have been so much better. Diablo stuff was the best part of that first movie. Mm -hmm. Bar none. I've always kind of felt that about that Diablo, too. And they never give him, like, the shit he deserves. Um, I never thought I would care about Bloodsport. His name is fucking Bloodsport. He, up until this movie, wore camo pants, a tank top... And a red bandana, like, covering his eyes Zorro style. Who was famous for being a gangbanger who shot Superman with a kryptonite bullet. They took this really weird 90s choice that Dan Jurgens, probably Dan Jurgens made. Or Louis Simonson, or John Byrne, one of those. And made him really fucking cool. The moment I realized I wanted to make his helmet out of leather in my, like, other hobbies... It's like, fuck, oh, damn it, I really like this character now. <laughs> and his weapons are the, the compact, unfolding, slightly nanotechish weapons were so dumb, yet so fucking With cool. the weird spinning thing on the front of the oh gun that God. exists for no reason other than, like, James Gunn was high and was like, that would look fucking sick. And he was not wrong. No. Seeing as Peacemaker was just as good as all the trailers made it look like he was going to be. I'm excited to see what that show does with him. I don't know if I have ever seen Cena act before this movie. Like, I know he's done a bunch, but I just don't know if I've ever... I don't know if I've ever seen him. Seen any of those movies. Yeah. Uh, and he was everything I expected him to be, just, like, looking at John Cena. Yeah. And I don't mean that as an insult. I did not... I don't know if I agree with Peacemaker going quite as, like, I'll be fascist for America as they went, but he's always been the character that's right on the edge of that. Although I want to say he's usually a little more anti-authoritarian than he is in this one. Mm. And I would have to read more Peacemaker to be sure. He was very U.S. agent in this to me. Yeah. yeah which makes sense, which the description he was given, and he fucking owned this description was be a broy douchebag Captain America. Perfect. And he fucking did it. And he broy douchebag Captain America is and what he was we saw. Funny and he was hateable and there were a few moments of there's like there, kind of feeling for him in mm-hmm. spots. That dude is not well and like they better fucking deal with that in the peacemaker show. Somehow. Fuck. That costume is so <laughs> it's so good. I don't. 
I don't want this entire podcast, and about 30% of it is, be, being me being like, I never thought I would see this. In a, but that Peacemaker hel- helmet. Yeah, the toilet. The fucking dove <laughs> on the... It's not a toilet. It's a beacon <laughs> of justice. Well played. It's a lot... It makes sense because they're both wrestlers turned actors. But John Cena's acting is a lot like Dave Bautista's to me. It's not necessarily good acting, but it's very honest acting. (laughs) They throw themselves into whatever choice they're making. And you know what? The Rock learned to act by doing that, so there's hope. Mm -hmm. He still sort of does it. Do the kill off. I loved the kill off so much between Cena and fucking Idris. David Ayer could not have filmed. No matter what, David Ayer could not have filmed that scene. I was fucking, I fucking lost it when they were just kept looking back at each other. Cena does the, just fucking chops up that guy. Not even looking. The bit of like, uh, that wasn't direct, it doesn't count or something or something. And it's oh like, yeah, non-lethal, you lose. He's, or I, I don't remember what it is, because it's right after non because then he has the explosive things and he's, that doesn't count. It does if it's some dope ass shit. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he's like, Fuck, you're right. right. <laughs> that progression, it it had very, and this is going to be weird to say, Legolas and Gimli in the fucking Lord of the Rings movies kill yeah. off, like, vibes, but in weird... Just over the top. Fucking dongs out over the top. Something... I read this article that somehow compared Ted Lasso to Suicide Squad... And the bizarre thing is, in a few ways, it sort of works. Okay. I disagreed with their, like, it shows the complicated nature of being a good person. I'm like, not really. But in the ways that some of the jokes are expressed, they're right. Because Jamie Tart and Roy Kent could have had a (laughs) soccer version of that scene without the murder. And played almost all of the jokes same, and it would have fucking landed just as good. 100%. But instead, (laughs) we had Idris and John Cena in a murder-off. Oh, my God. And the reason, I was going to say, because I started this with David Ayer could not have pulled off that scene. The reason is because then we find out that those are not people they should have been killing. And we went, oh, no, (laughs) as opposed to, like... This movie has traumatized me for the next, like, three or four days, and those characters are traumatized for life. Yeah. You, without the humor, fucking black humor, but without the humor present through every scene of this movie, you could not pull off half the shit they pulled off in this movie. God, who haven't we talked about? What What do we still need to Rick talk Flag. about? And Rick then Flag. Thinker. But Thinker I don't have much for. I liked this Rick Flag. It's another one where they got the essence of who Rick Flagg is right while wildly changing his character to uh, stuff in as many jokes as possible. Mm-hmm. And it still worked because it's James Gunn. They even have him in a bright yellow shirt for some reason. And Rick Flagg went through so many Black Ops mission wearing the brightest canary yellow shirt for absolutely no reason whatsoever. So Gunn deciding to commit to that made me so happy. Clearly, the guy who played Flag was having fun doing it in this movie, and he was not in the first movie. Yeah. I mean, that Rick Flag wasn't supposed to be happy, but clearly that actor, and I'm sorry, I cannot think of his name. Uh, Joel Kinnaman, I believe. Joel Kinnaman 
Yeah. Clearly was enjoying himself in this movie. I mean, originally it was supposed to be Tom Hardy and he stepped out because he didn't like where the movie was going. And then we fucking saw why when it came out. I was kind of surprised they killed Flag. But they also killed him in the comics, so I shouldn't be surprised they killed Flag. I was surprised they killed a Boomer. Yo, Boomer got it bad. Boomer dude. got fucked. I, I was, I was pretty. I thought that like even even when he got fucking splintered, I was like they're gonna pull him out and like, somehow, and like he's gonna be fucked up and he's not gonna be along for the rest of the mission. But he ain't but he'll die. somehow be alive and everyone be like how. Because that was the thing. In the comics, Boomer was the only character that was pretty much guaranteed to live because he was such an unrepentant piece of shit <laughs> that he had to be the person to live to give every other bad thing that happened to other characters like some pathos. Like, there was just something about him. And Jai Courtney did a pretty good job of playing a sleazy piece of shit Boomer. Yo. Yeah, but then when the fucking... The bits of the fucking helicopter got him. That was dark. This kind of fucked up to say, but I didn't think I was going to enjoy seeing Pete Davidson get shot in the face so much. Watching Nathan Fillion die was weirdly satisfying, but I think it was mostly because TDK was so... That dude. Fucking useless. That was my first bit, just like legitimately laughing out loud, like losing it in my fucking chair watching this when he's like, deploy TDK. And then the arms go out and you're like, the oh bit shit. That, the bit that wins it is the like action figure clips on the side of his arm. Oh my God. If you right. look like the way that it's, oh my. And then the arms just like. Slapping. They're not dangerous. <laughs> they don't move fast. They're just slapping. He doesn't even have like knives in them. Oh. Because if he was holding knives, at least they could have been like, what the fuck? And he's just like, step, 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 step. Nope. Just slapping. And then, yeah, of course, you just shoot the arms. Jump back to uh, to Flag and Harley for a moment, and uh, then yeah. we'll talk about Waller. Harley's admission that she sat at the end because Rick Flag was her friend was a very interesting and believable choice to me in some ways, even though mm -hmm. she shouldn't be. Like, she doesn't have enough experience with Flag. She has two fucking missions with him. The second one being where he dies pretty fast. And the first one being arguable how they even connect. But because Harley was in that place, and I think I am willing to accept Harley attaching in a way that I didn't accept others because on some level she knew how bad the relationship with Joker was, that she was like, any kind of like connection she can make with other people, she's going to latch onto really hard. Mm -hmm. But she sold that line really surprisingly well. Bloodsport did not sell that line at all that he also liked Flag. I was like, Flag's the one that made you like recommended you for the Suicide Squad. Nah, man, you have some beef with him. And then that brings us, I guess, to kind of our final one Waller, the wall herself. Oof. I mean, we already mentioned Viola Davis kills it, but also, like... She is unrepentantly evil. She this. is fucking the worst. And I, I have publicly said a few times that I kind of disagree with some of the choices, but also, 
the further I get in my life and the more I learn about the prison industrial complex, the harder it is for me to support literally anything Amanda Waller would do. Uh, Cause in the comics, like she's a piece of shit, but I don't necessarily think she would be like, Nope, leave all these civilians to die. She'd be like, well, do what you can. You're going to die one way or the other. Oh yeah. But it made sense from a character choice to have her go over the edge Although that also was the one moment that took me out of it because she stopped sounding threatening. Mm. When she's like, motherfuckers, you pieces of shit. Like, I didn't believe any of them were going to die right there. I almost would have killed, have her kill one of the one of them right there and have the rest keep going. Because, I don't know, like the... So this is the one thing... Her authority I'm... was broken at that point in a way that I don't necessarily think she would have automatically slid to, like... So... Already, uh, Gunn's done a couple interviews about different subjects pertaining to this movie. And although, I mean, I fucking love this, but like, we've talked about how, how he changes characters and yet we mm -hmm. still end up liking him through multiple movies now. But that scene where she breaks and gets all mad and shit makes sense for the way he's clarified that he kind of tried to pers like personify Waller in some of the other shit that he shot, uh, his Waller is extremely petty. Yeah. It's just that Waller's luckily... always been kind of petty. I don't necessarily... It's just that luckily, like, some of that shit ended up on the cutting room floor. Specifically, a lot of people were asking, like... A lot of people were trying to say it's a fucking plot hole that she would put Rick Flagg on the diversion team. Waller wouldn't get rid of Rick Flagg. But she did also, in her petty mind, at least this version, kind of owe him for turning on her in the first Suicide Squad movie. Well, Gunn has clarified that there was a scene that was supposed to explain it. Oh, okay. Where the reason that he ended up on Team One, that ended up on the cutting room floor, was she was wearing a hideous shirt one day, and he made fun of it. And not only did he make fun of it, but it caught on with her lackeys around the room and made her seem weak. That's too petty for me with Waller. I'm glad but that it ended up on the cutting room floor. An interesting idea. But that fits with her breaking later, I it, will admit. I, agree, I definitely agree with that. The problem is, I don't know if this sentence is going to make sense. It's Viola Davis killing it. It even lands Amanda Waller somewhat decently. It's not the wall. Mm. Amanda Waller, the wall, who is... Because uh, Waller is not dumb. And some of the choices she made here were kind of dumb. The way that she lost control there and lost any kind of power she had over them. The way that she was like, nope, just let the kaiju, because... If there were another superhero already fighting, I could see her being like, nah, get the fuck out of there. We have what we need. But I also definitely see her being like, all right, go die now. Have fun if you survive 10 years off your, like, mm -hmm. it, it just felt like a waste of resources. And like, I don't know, what's that phrase about movies? Every once in a while, you have to make someone carry the idiot ball. Yeah. I kind of feel like she got the idiot ball once or twice and it's not enough to like make me really knock this movie, but I, I can see that. I also kind of felt like it was a little bit, 
it was a little bit like what the what like the Vader comics do with Vader. Mm-hmm. Vader is one of the biggest badasses in the galaxy and rightly should be feared. But in cer- certain situations, there's only so much he can do as one man. Yeah. And Waller's kind of in the same position where... Also, in certain places, they're kind of both a petty bitch. So yeah. that's actually that very good analogy. I mean, to me, it's more that there's only so much, especially because she's not superhuman. Mm-hmm. There's literally only so much Waller can do in some situations. And so there's times where she just has to play the odds. But the problem with playing the odds is sometimes shit still goes wrong. Yeah. As I said, I don't really disagree with the choice. It was just mm-hmm. like, if I'm looking for a critique, that and let them wear their fucking masks was about all I fucking have <laughs> for this movie. Uh, as I said, I don't think it gripped me the same way Guardians did, but it's also not a fucking space opera, and man, I'm a whore for space opera. Yo. Starro. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> apparently Superman was almost the bad guy in this movie, and thank fucking God they chose Starro instead. Because one... We've covered this evil Superman is boring as fuck. Especially after, like, the sixth or seventh time. Plus, Gunn's brother already made that movie. It's called Brightburn. He was a producer on it. I thought Gunn made that movie. No, he produced it. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, a gun did A gun made that. <laughs> That's a very strange sentence. <laughs> Having Starro, who really is one of the, like, all-time big Justice League baddies, and no one's quite sure why... Is such a bold choice. It's it's such a bold choice. It's he's a giant bright purple. <laughs> and they didn't saturate or anything. They owned that it's bright purple giant. and red starfish kaiju. And he's amazing because one, his idea is sort of horrifying. And like Batman Beyond did some episodes with a character who was clearly Starro without ever calling him Starro. Mm. Those are legitimately kind of terrifying and almost invasion of the body snatchers. But also, he's the giant purple guy that brought the Justice League together for the first time. He's the JLA's Loki. Yeah. And you even... Fucking Gun manages to even give Starro... A little bit of pathos. Right at that dude that... I was happy floating out watching the stars or something like, like that. Like, that kind of hit. I was like, oh. Like, oh, no. That kind of made me sad. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I didn't like that. Yet, like, oh, my fucking Harley in his eye is so weirdly, grotesquely beautiful. <laughs> Same with the rats. That entire scene, and he's got that, like, choir music playing because again it's James Gunn and that dude knows how to work music into his mm-hmm. movies in a way that few creators have really ever figured out I hope uh, Daniela Melchior Ratcatcher 2 gets like all of the work after this movie prior to this I'm pretty much pretty sure she basically only did Portuguese TV I Okay, like, I'm excited there's a Peacemaker movie or show coming out. I'm going to watch James Gunn with a mm-hmm. fucking whatever the hell that's going to be. But I would rather have a Bloodsport and Ratcatcher 2 yeah. team-up show in the style of Falcon and Winter Soldier, but with, like, the most nonsensical or 
fucking who all survives this movie? Uh, Nanaway. Nanaway. King Shark. Rat Catcher Two. Bloodsport and Harley. And well, Peacemaker survives, but yeah, but uh, like as kind of the team yeah. at the end. And then give me like Catman and Scandal Savage, or no, give me Ragdoll, and give me a fucking Secret Six weird fucked up movie like Suicide Squad without the like government put bombs in your head. I would be so happy. Is there with the characters that I mean, with the fucking ridiculous amount of characters we did see, even though some got almost immediately killed? I still don't know who Blackguard is like at all. Yeah, me either. Is there any you wished you would have seen, especially survive? But okay, just as I said, I just want Secret Six, which is kind of uh, the same because it follows super villains and dead shots mm-hmm. in both of them. Uh, Catman. And Ragdoll, as I said right there, would be great. I really want Bronze Tiger. Bronze Tiger was going to be who I said. And get fucking, who is that, Michael Jai White? Mm-hmm. Who played Bronze Tiger before and did such a good Bronze Tiger. Who does amazing in everything he's in. Michael Jai White is. And uh, we've seen Black Dynamite. We know that he could fit into this style of yes, movie. 100%. I And I really like bronze tiger in the comics because he is, and we didn't see this in arrow, even though he did a good depiction of arrow, a bronze tiger who has gotten over the like brainwashing, the league of assassins put him through and is trying to be a good person while also being stuck on the squad Mm -hmm. is a very interesting story arc. They give him and Michael J white could have fucking killed that maybe Vixen as well. Cause she was a squad member. Although that was always, it doesn't even need to be Vixen, but the idea of a superhero who something went wrong, killed someone, whatever, who has to work on the squad, on the squad. is a character concept I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed because they're forced to live in that gray area. Mm-hmm. And Peacemaker could have been that, but instead we got Bro-y US, douchey. <laughs> US agent while he's off his meds. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, but it's not... It was the, still entertaining. It's not the character arc that I kind of wish we could have gotten. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't know where we would have fit them. Yeah. True. Because the only character I'd say to take out to put that in is maybe Polka Dot Man, and don't touch Polka Dot Man. Holy the shit, whimsy. that was so good. <laughs> I haven't used the word yet, but I'm a fucking sucker for whimsy in any form, and the whimsy of this weird fucking Troya grindhouse superhero movie. Oh my God. Cannot be denied. And I just, I felt it so much when Ratcatcher two didn't want to wake up. She had zero fear of Waller and God love her for it. <laughs> Trying to, Oh, we didn't really mention thinker too much. We got to see Capaldi. He was Peter Capaldi. Done. He was Peter. Yeah. He basically had 15 sonic screwdrivers sticking out of his head to the point that I have seen so many memes of people just photoshopping the different sonic screwdrivers over the place of whatever brain thinks he has. I like the thinker as a character. I like him much more when it's his brain that he's uploaded on the internet that essentially operates as like a living piece of computer software Mm -hmm. over dude that put spikes in his head to make him smart. Capaldi was not given much to work with. He did fine. He just played Peter Capaldi, though. Yeah. 
but we needed useless evil scientist. Might as well not make useless, him a thinker. But yeah, yeah. Might as well make a thinker and might as well hire Capaldi because why the fuck not when you have the chance to hire Capaldi? And Capaldi did literally everything he could with like the tiny amount of role he was given. Yeah. And not would, that that role needed to be bigger. No, I would not have taken anything out to put more time into the thinker. No. So, yeah, but there just wasn't a lot there. Uh, we did also see very, very briefly uh, Calendar Man. Calendar Man fucking burning somebody is amazing. And what uh, a that is like the definition of a well done Easter egg. And uh, Kaleidoscope. Was that who was, who was with Calendar Man there? Or no, uh, right after the Calendar Man bit, and it cuts across to them leaving the room, and there's a gal sitting on the table with the multicolored skin. Yeah. I guess I thought that was a version of Rainbow Raider. For, I forgot Kaleidoscope exists. Like, okay. I am a guy that literally runs a podcast where part of the whole point of the podcast is to try to play stump the band with me and comic characters. And some of these, I was like, I don't fucking know who that is. <laughs> like, yeah. Blackguard blackguard or from the first movie. I still can't tell you who the fuck slipknot is. Yo, I don't know who slipknot is. And you know, I didn't even catch his name. He was the most generic, useless, it's like, oh, I wonder who's going to die. That one. They just wanted to do Batman's grapnel shot. Other than that, he could have just been a member of the fucking Expendables. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's not going to sell me on a comic book movie. No. I still don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't know. who. I'm going to have to look up who Blackguard is after this episode's recorded because it bothers me. Uh, Richard Dick Hertz, Blackguard. I have a comic book with him where he is a reformed supervillain, but he was holy fuck. That's a deep cut. One of the hundred or one of the thousand. Oh, okay. So he was part of the supervillain. He was one of the thousand. So the less useful version of the hundred. Yes. The hundred was a supervillain mob that existed in uh, Metropolis that largely existed when you had a character that wasn't Superman that you wanted to use in Metropolis. It tended to be either Black Lightning or Booster Gold. Right. Deal with the hundred. Well, and especially yeah, and Black still Light- well, Superman. But well, because Tobias Whale was part of the hundred, so that's why Black Lightning would. Mm-hmm. They're not a bad team, mm-hmm. but like, there's no member of the one hundred or the thousand that is particularly. Notable as an individual. No. Yeah. So Blackguard's one of the thousand. <laughs> I was not surprised at all that he died. He died about 10 minutes faster than I thought he was going to, but I was like, oh, he's going to go real fast. Oof. I'm amazed the number of not necessarily big name actors, but like actors who have enough of a career that you recognize the names, at least mm-hmm. who he signed up for this movie. Right. Because in another movie, this could have, like, Pete Davidson would be the kind of person that they, like, launch a Marvel career out of. But instead, they fucking blew him up. Oh, I'm going to wind, you saying that makes me, I'm going to wind this back to about 50 minutes ago. And I am going to say that uh, 
Sly Stallone voicing King Shark almost makes the joke of even having King Shark in there just a little bit better, kind of like having George Clooney voice the dog on South Park. Oh, really, George? People like South Park. More power to you. That was that was a long time. That was like season six. Oh, so it's before George Clooney has become the well, it was reclusive winemaking millionaire. Yeah, it was way before he was reclusive winemaking millionaire. <laughs> it was when he was still like super hot shit in the movies, and like the whole joke was we're gonna get George Clooney on an episode, and then he just provide all the barks for the dog. Fair enough. <laughs> the the King Shark thing felt a little bit like that, like. We got sliced alone. <laughs> yeah. And. and that's why I feel, felt like it was stunt casting, even though sliced alone did a pretty good job. But that was totally him going, I got Judge Dredd to be in two of my movies. Oh, that's true. That's true. And I'm betting it's Judge Dredd that really first won him over before the others with his movie style. Do you. Looking for. So. Guardians 3, do you think we're going to actually see the original Guardians team put together since we saw them? I don't know. They were so clearly, like, setting up for another movie there that I don't think we're ever going to get. And I think that's a fucking tragedy. I didn't even think I, if anywhere, the holiday special is going to be my guess. Because uh, they've got to introduce fucking Adam Warlock in the third movie. Like, they don't have fucking time to go play with the original Guardians. The not at all the original Guardians, original Guardians. Right. Because they're not space rebels from the year 3000 from different planets in the solar system. They are space pirates, but old. Or Michelle Yeoh in one case. Yeah. I love Michelle Yeoh, though, so bring it on. <laughs> Is Doug Jones one of them? I too? think so. And fucking Krugar, the future Sorcerer Supreme snake <laughs> person. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, now I want to watch Guardians 2. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, woe is me. I might go home oh, and watch no. Guardians oh, no. 2. Oh, no. The other way it's like Ted Lasso is in a lot of ways this movie is everything we needed at this point in history, but in a different place. If we just needed something we could, like, laugh and enjoy the moments of and kind of let off some steam. So how much do you actually consider this a sequel to the first one? It is definitely a sequel. But... I mean, like, if there was ever the definition of a standalone sequel, this is fucking it. It's like, okay, let's take The Incredible Hulk. Was, in a lot of ways, didn't negate a lot of the shit that happened in the fucking terrible Ang Lee Hulk movie. Like, if you watch the how he got gammaed and stuff, mm -hmm. but it was not a sequel. This one's a fucking sequel. It brings back three actors it brings back but it also works complete if you've not seen the original suicide squad don't fucking bother just watch this one instead you will lose nothing except for the harley progression and honestly it's okay you can just watch birds of prey instead and then this one 
See, because I guess, like, I, I kind of feel like it's a sequel, but not in the same way. Like, to me, this reminds me of, like, well, comics continuity reboots. Mm -hmm. Like, when, when we were talking over on New Byland about some of the Zatanna stuff, and I brought up, like, some of this isn't quite the same, but it rhymes. This is Batman going from Scott Snyder to Tom King. Or fucking Chuck Dixon to Archie Goodwin, or fucking... Or I was thinking, like, not tone-wise, but it almost feels more more of, like, the New 52 reboot. I wouldn't go that far, but I see what you're saying. Maybe New 52 to DC Rebirth, where there's, like, some significant background retcons, but nothing that super negates anything? Right, it's more like... What you know of that is true until we go back. Until it's not anymore. Until we clarify that it's not. It's like that that mission happened in their past, and that other we version, ever that other it, version it is close enough, but if they were to ever actually show it, it wouldn't actually line up not to that movie. All. Actually, New 52 to DC Rebirth is probably the way, the best way I can put it, that the least number of people will understand. <laughs> Because it is like we're gonna be edgy and grim, dark and super '90s cool, which is what that 2016 fucking movie was. Mm -hmm. And then, oh no, we'll still be violent and weird and cool, but we'll also be colorful and fun. Yeah, and look, here's Paul we'll have Batman. color again. Yeah, Fifty Two Rebirth. Also, Rebirth was so fucking good that like. I just want more people to hear about it because then they can go discover how fucking good those books were. Okay, fair. Um, but I guess, like, that's how it seems like I, a sequel I, to me. Now that you say it, I agree with you. Like, translating it through that comic thing, I was thinking as simple as, like, just different comic creators where none of it's untrue, but it's the uh, same concept, just slightly different scale. We've just been jumping around talking about the shit that we liked, but we managed to do that for, like, An a hour? while now. Like, we could go through what all happens bit by bit in this movie, but I don't think we need to. To like, be honest, it doesn't really The feel really of matter. the movie's good enough. Yeah. The plot of this movie is not hot, sh hot garbage like the fucking David Ayer one is, but it is also absolutely not important to everything that's going on in this movie. No, they just have to keep going and doing things. Yep. They and have to do a mission. What's the mission? Fucking whatever, dude. I, I don't care. <laughs> I just like to watch them all together. <laughs> Go watch it. And it's that made it a success. I loved it. Um, I'm going to watch it again. Cece had to leave for part of it. Uh, just stuff around the house mm. was going on. So I'm going to give it a week or two, but I'm going to sit down and make sure we finish it all because it's worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you came in, I was watching it, but... I had already watched, like, that was my third time. I'm not going to do it as quickly as you do, but yeah. This will be one of the, like, I'm bored, let's put on a movie. 100% I have no problems putting on this movie. No. Yeah, it's fucking great. And honestly, like, it, it's fun enough that you might want to get drawn in, but if you just had it in the background and lifted your head whenever there was a fucking joke, it works. This would be a great crafting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm excited about that. So other than the Suicide Squad, what are our recommendations this week? Honestly, it's the Suicide Squad, but is it different <laughs> the Suicide Squad? Okay. Uh, I'm just straight up going to say John Ostrander's mm. The Suicide Squad. 
original comic run lasts almost 70 issues, so it had a, like, six-year, seven-year run. I don't know how to do math. About six-year run. Ostrander is one of the most consistent writers in comic books. I didn't expect it to be as good as it is, and some of it feels kind of hokey old because it, you know, was an early 80s, or late 80s, early 90s, but not in a bad way. Mm. It is wildly less violent because, I mean, they just had a, like, bomb strapped to their wrist. They just lost an arm. Oh. They did not not get nanobombs in the skull. And I'm not saying, like, losing an arm, especially in the kind of situations you're going to be in, is still... Basically a death sentence, but is a little less, oh, holy shit, to, um, well, that was Savant's head exploding. That was still <sighs> Last thought on this movie, kind yeah. of related. A lot of people were messaging Gail Simone, expecting her to not like this Savant. She created Savant mm. in Birds of Prey, and she was like, this was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this. So... That's great. Suck it, comic nerds. Uh, Yeah, John Ostrander, Suicide Squad. It's a simple recommendation. It's a solid recommendation. It is just... I've only read about 30 to 40 issues of it. Just. But, I mean, there's not really a bad issue in that run. So, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Our astute listeners might remember that I actually mentioned what my uh, recommendation this episode was going to be. Last episode. So uh, I will officially recommend it this time. Uh, I'm going to go with the Netflix series Hentified. Um, it is a comedy drama. I'm going to use their own little synopsis. They're, they're probably better than what I could describe it. Uh, three Mexican-American cousins and their struggle to chase the American dream, even while that same dream threatens the things they hold most dear, their neighborhood, their immigrant grandfather, and the family taco shop. This is the gentrification episode or show that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a comedy first, though it gets pretty heavy, especially in the back end of the season. And like dramedy might be a little bit more accurate, but it's yeah, a family dealing. Gentrification sometimes can be sort of hard to explain. Mm-hmm. I feel like this show kind of shows you. Like, you want to understand gentrification? Watch this show. Kind of like it shows a, a really good way of how everything's intertwined. The yeah. only way they can change the ta- taco shop is by attracting more clientele. But that means going outside the neighborhood and bringing in white folks. Yeah. You know, I think in some ways dramedy has the most potential of TV like genres as as making art. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's art because I haven't fucking seen it, although it sounds like it is. And yeah, I don't know. And it it plays with just a lot of lot of different things having to do all around that subject. Often very humorously. Honestly like one of the cousins um didn't grow up down there. Like it sounds from from what I pieced together from the, the info they do drop is like he grew up there as a very little kid, but then his family moved away and like he grew up in Idaho. Oof, ooh, that's going to be. And now he's coming back and his dream is he wants to be a highly acclaimed chef. 
in this tiny fucking taco shop that he has has to be for okay that's interesting but also just having that dream and trying to move away from making traditional food is he's catching shit from other characters yeah it's a complicated show, my guy. Yeah, it's also really fucking funny and really good. So, Hentified, good. Uh, I know that they're getting at least a season two. I have to admit, and this probably doesn't say good things about me as a person, Hentified, I always hear as hentai something, <laughs> and I'm like, Tyler, I don't know if you should be recommending this on our podcast, but then I realize that I'm just very white and an asshole. Yeah, no, hentai is people. Thank you. Okay, that... Miente. That helps. Also, if yeah. I saw it spelled out, I would probably go, oh, that's clearly something. And as a crossover with what we just watched, the general from the Suicide Squad is the grandfather that the, runs the, the taco shop. The gray-haired general yeah. for most of Okay. Is the grandfather that runs the taco shop in Hintified. Right. Uh, let me find his name real quick. just to. You know, while we're saying that, just uh, thought that we didn't really cover... Harley's scene where she falls in love with the dictator. Like, I know we talked about how she kills the dictator and how that was a cool scene, but even the scene leading up to it with him being like, look at these birds mm-hmm. was just very well done. Uh, Joaquin Cosio is his name. He did fine in this movie. There is nothing wrong with his portrayal. He was just another one where he was South American revolutionary general. Right. In an American action movie, we don't give them a lot of space. Uh, yeah, he's the grandfather, though, in Hentified. Cool. And so gets a lot more screen time. He's so good. Oh, he's great. I like him. So uh, that's, yeah, there we go. That's my. All right. Uh, come back next week where we will be definitely stepping out of my wheelhouse and right into your wheelhouse. Woo! Where we will be covering the novel World War Z. Dude, I'm so excited for you to actually get to this. And kind of specifically the audiobook, because we're both going to listen to the audiobook, and it's weirdly amazing cast of characters, including Simon Pegg and Mark Hamill. Yeah. And like, John Turturro, I think. And We'll have that list next week. It's We will be talking specifically about it, but even if you've just read the novel, we'll talk enough about the novel that you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So have fun with that. Yeah, that should be a good time. I'm I'm excited to see what you think. It's been one of my favorite for a while. I'm curious. So. I'm I am more confident about World War Z than I am about 90% of zombie properties. Good. You should be. <laughs> Cause it's head and tails above about 90% of zombie properties. So Yeah, you're about right where you need to be. That's this time, or that's next time. That's also it for this time. Yeah. Uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is around on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. 
We're involved with most of them. So if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earvrm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.